Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, January 6, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is the Rev, Taylor Schwenk. We have seen the light of the holy dark room. I'm Buster, only working from my home in New York. Taylor, how you doing? Happy holidays. Uh, they were, they, were they good for you? They were good for me. Holidays were wonderful. Spent some more time in Maryland. Had uh, my brothers come up for the new year to Connecticut. So, uh, yeah, it's been lovely seeing family and friends. Nice. Well, today we're going to talk a lot about the Hall of Fame voting process, uh, the strange week-longs unveiling uh, for who's getting in and who's not getting in. As you sit here today, I think the data is pretty clear. Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are not getting in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling is not getting in the Hall of Fame. Should we already know this? Is this a good thing? Should there be changes to the voting system? We're going to be talking with Derek Gould about that after we hear from Sarah Langs about where the numbers stand right now. All right, some news and notes. Let's update the labor situation. Yep, more than a month into Major League Baseball's lockout. The two sides have not had a conversation. There's nothing scheduled. Uh, We could do a deep dive on this, but we'd be doing a deep dive into Nothing. The St. Louis Cardinals canceled their winter warm-up because of the Major League Baseball lockout. I would expect that that probably uh, is going to also happen with other teams as we move along during the course of the winter time. You know, those winter caravans are have always been traditionally a part of how teams sell tickets. Not this winter. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you've known this has been in the works. The New York Mets are set to hire Joey Cora, brother of Boston Red Sox manager Alex Cora, as their third base coach. You remember that, Taylor, right? When we had Joey on the back end, he said, yeah, we'll watch out. We'll see what happens in New York. I believe, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll see you in New York. A little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> if you're really listening hard, that's why you listen to the Baseball Tonight podcast. There you go. Uh, veteran outfielder Cameron Maybin has retired after 15 terrific seasons. Seattle Mariners third baseman Kyle Seeger, cousin Kyle, allegedly were related, retired after 11 seasons. Uh, a great career for him. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, a couple things to promote. First of all, Swagoo and Perk. Every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcast, as well as on YouTube this week, Swagoo and Perk, that is uh, Marcus Spears and Kendrick Perkins talk about why John Morant should be in the MVP conversation. The Bulls and their two all-star starters, criticism of players opting out of bowl games, LeBron wanting to share the floor with Bronny and the rise of Rich Paul. Check out Swagoo and Perk. Also, check out the ESPN College Football Podcast National Championship Game on Monday evening on ESPN, but we got you ready for this big matchup between Georgia and Alabama all week long. Check out the ESPN College Football Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And finally, NBA Today on ESPN, the ESPN app, or wherever you listen to your podcast, Monday through Friday, that airs on ESPN, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging 
so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, a reporter-producer for MLB.com. All right, Sarah, uh, first off, how, Happy New Year. How you doing? Happy New Year. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing okay. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the Hall of Fame and the process, and Derek Gold is coming up. I know you know his work well. Um, but I just want to talk about um, you know the, where we are with the ballots uh, for this year I wrote a piece on ESPN.com about how I think we pretty much already know uh, where the ballot's going to fall and who's going to get in this year. And just to let everybody know about the process, ballots are sent out typically by the Hall of Fame in late November, early December. Uh, and after that, writers can turn their votes in any time they want uh, with a late December, early January deadline. And along the way, some writers like to post their ballots uh, either in columns or in social media. And starting in 2014, Ryan Thibodeau began to tabulate these votes. He, uh, I, I sent him a direct message the other day and asked him, you know, how he first came to do that. And he said he was a fan of the Astros and uh, Jeff Bagwell. He was curious about uh, whether or not he was going to get in. And he does a wonderful dissection of the votes as they come in, uh, in terms of getting details. But as I write about in the column, it also means that we pretty much know where the results are going to be this year. So that's what I want to ask you, run through some of the candidates and what we're seeing in the voting. Sound good? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you reached out to him. You know, I've been following him this entire time. I had no idea why he started doing this. So I'm so glad you got that answer. Yep. Uh, All right. Barry Bonds, what are we seeing in his chances for getting in? And this, the last of his 10 years on the ballot. So right now he's at 81 percent on all of the public ballots that's public and anonymous ballots that are submitted to him, but without a name attached to them. So obviously that is above the 75 percent that's needed for election. This is only about 130 ballots so far, though. There are going to be a lot more. And one thing that he keeps track of, and this is all on the tracker, the spreadsheet on his Twitter account, if anyone is interested, not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter. One thing that he keeps out there that's really helpful is he shows for the previous year 
what that individual's percentage was before the ballots were revealed, the entire correct like voting, what happened and what it was afterwards. So last year, Barry Bonds lost 11.9 percentage points when the full reveal happened. So just to give you a sense, just because he's at 81 right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we expect him to be there. So to your point, This gives us a really good idea of what to expect. I would say that you usually want to plus or minus a couple percentage points for any numbers that you're seeing. Yeah, last year he finished 53 votes shy of election. And according to Ryan's tabulations, he's picked up two votes among returning voters. That is not a lot. What about Roger Clemens? So Clemens is in a very similar vote in terms of the numbers. He's at 79.6% right now. I believe there's one difference in terms of uh, total votes between him and Barry Bonds right now. And uh, or actually it's two. The difference is two. And again, very similar loss, 11.6 percentage points last year at the time of the reveal. So that's sort of what you're looking at again, is that there's going to be around that 10 percentage point difference. So those two guys are obviously right there among where you would want to be in order to be elected. That 75 percent, again, being the number. But, you know, there's an expectation that they will drop. And to your point with the um, votes gained so far from returning voters, uh, he has gained, it looks like, two as well. So a similar exact same situation to Bonds at the moment. Kurt Schilling last year polled at 71 percent. I think just a tad over. It might have been 71.9%. And then after the election last year, he essentially, you know, uh, lobbied that uh, he did not want to be on the ballot for this, his last, uh, the last of his 10 years on the ballot. What are we seeing in Kurt Schilling's chances? So uh, his percentage has dropped off pretty significantly. He's at 57.7% right now. And it is important to note, so I was talking about those differences that we see between the final number we get publicly from Ryan Thibodeau, just what he's tracking, and then the actual number, what comes out from the Hall of Fame when the results are revealed. He only lost three percentage points in that difference uh, last year. So he wasn't having that big difference between those completely private ballots and the more public ones that Bonds and Clemens were having. But that being said, he's pulling at 57.7% right now, which is, of course, well below that 75% and has lost a handful of votes. He has lost uh, 15 among, uh, I'm sorry, he's lost 17 among returning voters. He's gained two and he's lost 17. Uh, and lastly, I want to ask you about two guys who are kind of in that uh, in the in the polling at Ryan's tabulated uh, in that ballpark of possibly getting in this year, David Ortiz and Scott Rowland. What are you seeing where they stand now? So Ortiz is currently leading uh, among all of the ballots that we know so far. So he's at 82.5%. So just ahead of Bonds and Clemens, we don't have any prior information since he is a first time, uh, a first time player on the ballot. So we don't know what percentage he might gain or lose when we get the official results uh, towards the end of January. But 
he is doing well so far. Again, you know, he's at 82.5%. I don't know if he's going to be someone who would lose closer to 10 percentage points or closer to three, but depending on that seems like it will make or break it. Uh, But he is slightly ahead of those other two. And Roland's a really interesting case. I mean, I think that his Hall of Fame case and the discussion of it has really started to follow, uh, you know, the pattern that we've seen with a couple different players lately, Larry Walker being the most recent where we see them really gain votes as their time on the ballot continues. And he's at 72.3% right now. We'll see what that ends up as. He lost about 7 or 8% last year from what he was at uh, to what was ultimately revealed. But his actual vote percentage last year was 52.9%. So he's even ahead of where he was on those public ballots last year. And I think he's certainly in the bank of, you know, players who are continuing to have their baseball reference pages looked at. And it seems like people are continuing to build that case. Yeah, Ortiz is going to be an interesting one. Uh, For those who don't know, in 2009, the New York Times published a story that Ortiz tested positive during survey testing uh, done by Major League Baseball in 2003 when there actually were no penalties in place. Um, And, uh, you know, a lot of voters, clearly, if you look at the behavior of a lot of voters, uh, any link to PEDs uh, for them is enough to keep a a player off their ballots and so it will be interesting to see if a lot of the voters who are not going to vote for Ortiz are sort of holding back, uh, you know, holding back on uh, on revealing their ballot until that massive ballot comes out on January 25th and whether or not David will drop down below the 75 percent. I think Rollins Hall of Famer. I think Ortiz Hall of Famer. I'd vote for all five of these guys we talked about. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
Your gold covers the St. Louis Cardinals for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Derek, how you doing? I'm good. Happy New Year, Buster. Thanks for having me. Sure. And thanks for coming on. I wanted to have you on because, uh, you know, your track record as a journalist, your integrity, uh, your perspective, you're not an employee of the league, you're not an employee of a team. So I, you know, love the fact that you're, you know, free and I've known you long enough where you and I can have a conversation about the Hall of Fame process uh, and, you know, how we feel like it might be better if it uh, with some changes and so I'm just going to throw out some topics along these lines and just get your perspective on these. Um, but I, first, I want to make clear, uh, we're not revealing your ballot here today, correct? Right. Yeah, I have to uh, hold it actually for the paper. Uh, the paper asked me to write a story um, explaining it, but also touching on maybe some of the topics that we're going to talk about. So this might be a, a good momentum builder to give me some ideas on what to write. But uh, but yeah, on Friday's St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they, they want me to uh, reveal it. And then I'm happy to talk about it and defend it and explain it and take the criticism for it. Uh, every year I do a chat based on it and try to try to take as much as I can, you know, from, uh, from if there are compliments, I'll take those, but most of all there's criticisms, but I'll try to explain it and year to year, try to stay consistent. From 30,000 feet, from your perspective, from the first time you voted to where we are now, how different is the conversation around the hall of fame? Wow. It's, it's probably a lot like, every conversation we seem to be having, especially over the past few years, it's, it's increased in vitriol in, in attacks, um, and in presumptions. Um, there are times where you'll get a criticism and it's like, look at the, you know, like, for example, like, well, you never voted for Pete Rose. Correct. I never voted for Pete Rose. I never had that chance. And, you know, just that mere fact, oh, by the I way, never, no writer ever had a chance to vote for Pete correct. Rose. Yeah, writers never had a chance to do that. And so just that mere fact, you know, like a, a fact, a, a proven fact that writers never had that chance, it doesn't dissuade the opinion that, oh, well, you guys never voted for P. Rose. And so I think, you know, it's increased in, you know, um, what used to be criticism that would lead to a conversation is now just criticism that leads to, you know, name calling. And so I think maybe the, the caustic nature of the conversation has changed um, on a personal like level. It really seems like, you know, I remember that first ballot was like, could, how quickly could I rush to check Ken Griffey Jr.'s name? And this ballot, it was like, okay, how, how do I attack this so that I can say that I kept my standards consistent year to year to year? How do they apply? You know, what mistakes have I made in the past? How do I defend this check mark? I mean, every, every, Every swipe of the pen felt like, okay, how do I come up with a hundred word explanation or a 240 character explanation for this? Because um, eventually I'll have to answer for it. And I'm okay with that. Um, but it changes the feel of the ballot when, you know, putting a check mark by Ken Griffey Jr. And you get to join this like chorus of, of greatness, like usher the kid into immortality um, versus now where it's like every move has to be defended. Do you agree with me that although the unveiling is still, as you and I talk, what, 19 days away, we pretty much already know who's getting in this year? Yes? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you, you, you wrote uh, ESPN.com a really good kind of synopsis and view into what why this is. Um, you know, we can track the numbers, everything in baseball we can track with numbers pretty much. Um, this is definitely the case. You see the, the numbers that Barry Bonds and – you know, Roger Clemens aren't getting to close the gap. You see the numbers that Kurt Schilling 
um, number of voters who have dropped Kurt Schilling off the ba- ballot already because of the work that Ryan Thibodeau does. I mean, you know, I'm eager to see what Scott Rowland does. You know, are there some voters who haven't revealed their ballots just yet um, that maybe jump Scott Rowland into the conversation along with David Ortiz? But there doesn't seem to be much uh, intrigue when it comes to who will be inducted this coming summer. I got to say, I really love Ryan's work. You know, mm-hmm. I remember when he first started doing, I was like, wow, that that's really smart. And and he's so detailed. Um, so you have nothing but appreciation for his work. But I also have, have sort of gradually over the last few years, feel like mm, it's probably not a good thing that we get the drip, drip, drip out mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on the voting. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think the the drip, drip, drip invites sort of the 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 vitriol that we that we discussed a little bit earlier because it makes that one voter that day or those four voters that day who released their ballots the focus of all the heat um, from all sides. If the ballots all came out at once, then you would see that diffuse. That would you'd see that spread, and people would ha- there would still be fate. You'd still face criticism. Some of it pointed, some of it mean, some of it um, impolite, and some of it pointed and purposeful, and some of it deserved. Um, but it would be more about the, the the interest of that one individual seeking out the multiple voters who maybe they disagree with, as opposed to this social media, media dogpile that we see on the few every day. I do like what Ryan has done because it allows us to understand the voting process better. Um, we get a global sense of it, um, of trends. Um, I also like the fact that it keeps me honest year to year. Um, okay, am I am I saying if this guy's a Hall of Famer um, in 2019 that I continue to say that he's a Hall of Famer in 2020 unless the limit on the ballot forces me to reconsider it? Um, you know, I, I like that year to year look that you can get. Um, I also think that maybe it helps change the conversation. You know, I think you know some of the so I, I cannot ignore the fact that what Ryan has done um, has probably helped some candidates by showing, okay, look, this is the group that's voting for Scott Rowland and other voters who maybe had overlooked Scott Rowland or, hey, these are the guys who are voting for Bobby Obreu. Why, why is that? Here, here are the riders, um, you know, in this part of the country that are voting for this guy. What do they know? What should I know more about um, when I look at my ballot the next year? I think that's been invaluable and helped um, the, the process evolve and, ma- and, and made it better. For example, I don't think that Mariano Rivera gets in unanimously if not for Ryan's counting. What do you think? Yeah, that's I think that's I think you're exactly right. You know, I mean, it's astonishing that that year there wasn't a blank ballot submitted. Yeah. And I think there's just a greater awareness, uh, you know, and as you say, a greater accountability for the voters uh, from ballot to ballot because because Ryan is like, okay, here's uh, Derek Gould's ballot. Uh, yeah, and everyone can can take a look at it. Um, and so I, I think in some respects, yeah, I agree. But I also think that in terms of the uh, the celebration of the of the players, yeah, um, that it diminishes that tremendously. And I, you know, you compare that to the run up to the baseball writers awards, uh, which, you know, as you know, uh, those votes are, are cast right at the end of the regular season. And nobody knows what the results are for any individual voter until the whole, uh, you know, the, the results are announced in mid-November. 
And I think there's something pretty cool about that. And I, I, you know, if I were to vote one way or the other, that's the way I would go if I were the Hall of Fame. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's kind of the classic Oscars, Grammys, Tonys kind of thing, right? You discuss the, you you reveal the candidates, then you create a conversation about who might win, but you don't leak out the individual ballots until you know the very um, you know after the the results are are released. I I do like that excitement. Um, I do think there's a model there, you know going back five years, I guess it is now, um, you know, we, we kind of explored what to do differently with the public release of the ballots and, you know, Eagle eye folks who see the ballots on social media will notice that there's a box at the bottom that says, you know, the voter wants the ballot public. Um, that was agreed upon between the writers association and the hall after the writers association, overwhelmingly voted to make all of the ballots public at one point in time, just like we do with the MVP Cy Young manager and rookie of the year. We were going to follow that model. Um, The hall pushed back and we had discussions as to how to come to a reconciliation over the vote, which the body of the riders wanted and sort of the process that the hall wanted to preserve. And the result is that box. Um, Now voters are allowed to obviously make their ballot public before then. Um, but the hope was to kind of move in the, or the idea was to move in the direction that you're describing. Um, Buster, you, you may remember this. Um, and I, I think it was Bud Selig, right? This is, I recall this maybe 15, 20 years ago, they were talking about why not have a trade de- or I'm sorry, a, a free agent deadline like other sports, right? Why not create sort of what we saw this year with the sweepstakes. And I think it was Selig that said, you know, a deadline limits the window of the discussion about baseball by taking away the free agent deadline. You have the chance for the hot stove to extend from the end of the world series to pitchers and catchers report. And baseball can be in the newspaper every day in a way that is what the hall is preserving, right? I mean, they are getting these, this six weeks essentially of, of publicity for the incoming uh, class and discussion. And it's constantly uh, in the consciousness of the fans who are interested. Um, it's like this long buildup. Um, I think you make a great point that it does detract from the ultimate winners because of the negativity that surrounds the conversation. It's It becomes a case of who didn't get in and why they didn't get in and why do the voters get it wrong as opposed to celebrating the person who got in and the career who is being, you know, noticed and honored in a way that only the top, you know, 1% of 1%, the elite of the elite get into Cooperstown. Yeah. I think the hall probably prescribes to the George Steinbrenner philosophy that there was no such thing as bad publicity that criticized uh, in the papers or there's any discussion about it meant was essentially free advertising. And yep. if you're the Hall of Fame and you're talking about and I talked to Josh Rawich, the new president of the Hall of Fame on Wednesday, he said he wants to go through a, a full cycle before giving any opinions about, you know, the process and how would that go? You mentioned the baseball writers and I know, you know, you have been involved in these conversations before with the Hall of Fame. I've, I've wondered why the baseball writers don't insist on transparency. In other words, tell you know, tell the Hall of Fame, look, we're, we're, a, we're a body of journalists, we're a union of journalists, effectively, and we need transparency, and that has to be a condition for our participation. I know that's a one step further than where it went, but what do you think about that idea? Um, we did. We, that was the proposal that I made um, back in 2016 when I was president after conversations with then President Jeff Idelson and others at the Hall um, that we 
had possession of the ballots. And if we wanted to make them public, we could. Um, and the, the, the vote was 80 something to a few. And there was reservation. There were people who spoke up about uh, some some hesitancy that they had about making all the ballots public like we do with the MVP and everything like that. Um, but the room and the members who were present, there was a large meeting, um, voted overwhelmingly to, to be completely transparent, as you just suggested. Um, the hall did not want that. They were OK with individual releasing their ballots and being public in that regard but the mass um release of all ballots um gave them some pause um because of the same concerns that were brought up in the media by individuals or in the meeting by individuals there um and so we arrived at that checkbox uh, or the box to check with the hope that over time and that's where we're at right now that it would evolve to complete transparency because um, if we can get, you know, those percentages over and over again, I tracked them um, of the number of people who make their ballots, the number of voters who make their ballots public as those grow, you know, and become kind of a line that approaches 100 percent, then we need to make that leap. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if you get there, you know, especially now with this discussion about uh, players and whether or not they should get in unanimously and, you know, Derek Jeter coming out. And, you know, uh, taking a shot in his Hall of Fame speech at the person who didn't vote for him and hid behind uh, anonymity. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's a quick fix for this is do away with the 10. You know, I mean, right and that's now, what I was going to ask you next. I was going to say, tell me if you were the Lord of Baseball, uh, what changes would you make to the process? I would make that one. I would I would make it. You know, I think I've uh, I've written a lot about that going back uh, on, well, I guess, seven, eight years now. And I proposed it, you know, that we called it, or I called it the, the binary ballot at the time, you know, just yes, no, just yes, no on guys. No, no having to, you know, this is, this is the crux of it to me is, is the hall of fame asking us this question? Is the player a hall of famer or is the hall of fame asking us this question? Is this player one of the 10 most worthy players this year? It, it's simple. The, the question is, is this player a hall of famer? Yep. So let us ask that answer that yes, no. And then you just, you, 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 you don't have to game your ballot. You don't have a situation where a voter has to go, well, I'm worried that a Joe Nathan, for example, is not going to get the 5%. I really think he deserves more conversation or more attention, whether he gets in or not, you know, I don't know, but he deserves to be in that conversation. And, and I'll tell you why that's important shortly, but that, the voter doesn't have to say, well, I know that a Derek Jeter or a Mariano Rivera is going to get overwhelming support. And the difference between 98% and 100%, they're still Hall of Famers. They don't put their percentage in their signature. They put the year they were inducted. They don't put 99. They don't put 77. They just put Hall of Fame 2021 or 2022. The Hall of Fame, once you're elected, you're a Hall of Famer, and they don't sit there and let you get first priority if you're a first ballot or a seventh ballot. You all go in in the same parade. You all get the same bronze. And that, to me, is something that, you know, if they just did the yes-no, it would clear up the gaming of the ballot. It would also make some of these some of these decisions like a lot more linear, like Kurt Schilling and Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez and these, we wouldn't have to use the character clause to carve out the ballot down to 10. And the, the quickly, why bring up the staying on the ballot for the conversation? This is something that being in St. Louis has kind of revealed to me. 
and seeing what Ted Simmons went through. Ted Simmons is now a Hall of Famer and will be forever and has deserved it for decades. And he lived with the phone calls from reporters like me after meetings where he didn't get in. And one of the things that when covering one of those votes, when he didn't get in, um, you know, one of the members of that committee said to me, he's like, well, look, you know, we have to pay attention to what the writers did. And Ted Simmons didn't last on the ballot. He didn't get a second year on the ballot. He didn't get enough votes. And I was really bothered by that. I said to the committee member, I said, look, you know, you love telling us writers how wrong we are all the time about the game. Here's your chance. This is your chance. Tell us we missed on this. But if the first ballot or the first appearance of a guy or how long a guy stays on the ballot is going to inform future conversations for the Veterans Committee or whatever form that takes 10, 15 years from now, I think we need to be aware of the power of having a guy like a Joe Nathan who, or a Bobby Abreu or a Jim Edmonds or to, to dial it back even further, a Kenny Lofton. How's Kenny Lofton not getting a longer conversation? Um, and if that goes before the Veterans Committee and they go, well, look how long these guys lasted on the ballot, that's not exactly fair because of the 10 limit. Yeah, I think uh, you and you and I have talked the last time I voted. Um, you know, I, I cast uh, I had 10 people on my ballot and I didn't vote for Mike Messina, who I covered for three mm-hmm. years, who I thought absolutely was a Hall of Famer. Uh, I didn't vote for Kurt Schilling, who I thought absolutely was a Hall of Famer. At that time, I worked with him at ESPN. Uh, I didn't vote for Jeff Kent, who I think is a Hall of Famer. Uh, and it really bothered me because my feeling was I'm not judging those guys I wasn't able to judge those guys because of the, I mean, let's face it, very arbitrary rules mm-hmm. uh, based on their, their, the quality of their careers, the, the achievements that they had. I was, I was judging them uh, in the end, leaving them off the ballot because of, as you say, gaming my ballot and trying to figure out how to use that. And that's to me, uh, you know, especially in this process where you're you're voting for an achievement like that, being in the vote, uh, being voted in the Hall of Fame, uh, it feels disrespectful to the players. I hate what you describe with Ted Simmons every year getting the phone calls from writers and asking how they're feeling. And, you know, the way this conversation also is going, that the conversation now is more about what they didn't do. Right. right. Yep. Uh, and why they weren't good enough. And I that makes me cringe. Yeah. No, in, in some way that baseball, right? Like we always focus on the on the failure of the game, and that's part of why we love it with the whole three out of ten makes you a Hall of Famer. But you're right, and I and I and I and it does focus on who didn't support this player and why they didn't. And you know, the conversation isn't about a, a celebration; it's about a skewering of either the voter or the player, and that's that's not in the spirit of, of the, of what the word means hall of fame. You know, it's, it's a museum first and foremost, which means it's a testament to the history of the game, good, bad, ugly. Um, but all of it, part of the history of the game, um, you know, are not taking bronze plaques down, for example, of, of guys who we know more about today than we did 30, 40, 50, 80 years ago. But, you know, when you, when you think about it, that there is a, a time when this should be a celebration of what they did on the field um, and not just this constant autopsy of what they didn't. All right. Before we go, give me 90 seconds on this. How do you feel about writers participating? Because as time has gone on, mm. that also has made me cringe more and more. The idea, because it generally is a, as a reporter, um, I, I've sort of gotten to the perspective of, you know what reporters and, and look, I was happy to vote and I voted for probably what, 12, 13, 14 years 
And then over time, I was like, especially in the last decade, I was like, reporters shouldn't be making news. Uh, and it's better if they're just reporting on news. And I know you well enough to know that you have processed that type of question. Where are you on that? I am still processing. Um, I, I think a lot about that, Buster, and, and I have thought more and more about that over the past couple of years, to be honest. Um, is the, you know, is it worth it? Uh, you know, the, the, the tone, the emails, the accusations, the, the email I get from a few people who say, how do you, how do you talk to your son that you voted for somebody who they call a cheater? Um, how do you explain this vote to your son? It's like, really, is this, is this worth it? And every so often I come to the point that know that it's part of the job. If you, if you want this job um, and you pursue this job and this game means something to you and something as important as the hall of fame to the history of the game and to the future fans of the game, ask you for a moment where you're the custodian, then you treat it like the responsibility that it is until they say there's, there's a better way to do it. Um, I, I think I'd like to help find a better way to do it um, because I don't know if writers should be involved. I struggle with that quite a bit for the same reason that you described, not just the, the fact that it, it, it allows for this entry into, are you playing favorites and that question that we should have to answer. Um, but it also creates, you know, more and more, I, I'm worried about like kind of media literacy in general and the, the difference between a beat writer and the difference between that and a columnist or where people go to get their news and how the difference between speculation and reporting and we're merging all these things. And I think in some ways us voting on the hall of fame invites a question from fans are like, well, you voted for that guy because he was nice to you in an interview. And that doesn't have to be true, but the fact that they speculate puts it into the air and it gathers momentum. And you're now you're chasing the lie and we know how quickly a lie moves ahead of a fact. And so I, I worry about that. And I think we could do more things back to your point about transparency. And I love all the articles that so many of our peers write explaining their votes and talking about it. I love conversations like this um, because I, I think it lets people in on the, you know, the, the process and sort of the thoughts that go into it, but also, you know, the, the, the ethics of it and the research that so many writers put into it. Um, but I, but I admit, you know, I, I, I think, um, I, I think a lot about that and I don't think I have a great answer yet, except for, I know that while the hall is asking us to do it, I want to participate. I want to take on that challenge. I want to take on that responsibility. And I believe I owe it to fans to explain how I did it. Um, and if that fan is my son, I will happily explain to him why I voted for who I voted and take his criticism. Um, because I think it's important that that there's a whole group of us that care a lot about the game and care a lot about the hall and give the time to make sure that it is reflective of the history while also having the conversation about how do we make this process better. The January before my mother died, she uh, she yelled at me for voting for Mark McGuire the first time he was on the ballot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love those lines. And I think that was one of the first times I began to think. Not that I agreed with her, and I tried to explain sort of the nuance and the you know the the context and all that. But I was like, nah, I don't know if I should be the judge of this, you know. Yeah. So anyway, all right, Derek. Well, I love talking with you. I love your work. Thanks for coming Thanks. on.
thanks for all the kind words, Buster. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody listening. And I look forward to the results of this. Um, but I also look forward to what we can do better because of conversations like this one. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Thursday. First up, we have Katie Casey at Tweacher Bleats writes in, could more player owners like Derek Jeter help improve the relationship between the MLBPA and Major League Baseball, even though he did vote for the lockout with the rest of the owners? Also, did every great baseball writer work for the Baltimore Sun at one point? <laughs> it was a great place to work. Uh, when I went through my interview with the Baltimore Sun, I was told this by the executive editor that the beat was considered to be uh, as important as the White House beat to the Baltimore Sun. Mm. Um, and my editor, uh, Jack Gibbons, who's terrific to work for, uh, he said to me, we'll never say no to a baseball story. I don't know if that's the case now. Um, and I don't mean that as a rip of your team, although it could be construed as one. Um but I, I, it was certainly the case then, and it was just a great place to work. No, I don't think any person, Derek Jeter or anybody else, makes a difference in this current relationship. I remember Chris Young, former player, went to the commissioner's office. There was some hope that he could be a, someone who could pull the two sides together. Forget it. Uh, wasn't even close. In fact, he was sort of looked at uh, dismissively by the players, from what I understand and what I've heard, uh, by the time he left there to go to the Texas Rangers. I think we all thought that might be the case with Theo Epstein uh, going to Major League Baseball. That has not been the case. I think he's out of the inner circle in terms of, uh, you know, that conversation happening. I I think the leadership on the two sides has to work it out. And as we've talked about for a couple of years now, it's the worst working relationship we've ever seen between the two sides. Good times. Tyson Worth at Tyson Worth is up next when Major League Baseball and the players finally reach a deal. You Are you predicting substantive improvements in pace of play action or will it be too late because they're scrambling to get the money figured out? Ready for some good news. Thanks and Happy New Year. Corey Rukert asks something similar. Our guy Corey, uh, he was asking for a specific rule, though, outside of a potential universal DH. I think it was Evan Drellick who first reported this, but basically MLB took all of the on-field initiatives off the table in these talks because the economics were at the forefront. Um, So none of those things will be taking place. We talked last summer, for example, about, you know, rules trying to reestablish a preemptive starting pitching, all that's to the side, the pitch clock, the electronic strikes on all that stuff, Major League Baseball is not even going to deal with it because they've got the the economic issues to deal with whenever the two sides talk. A real shame. Let's end today on a high note. Ben Low Connor, 1990 at Ben Low Connor, 1990 writes in, hello from your ancestral home of only England. Do you think lockout talks will begin, I guess, before the 28th of February? And he left a picture of uh, a sign of only England on this yeah. tweet. Yeah, I need to go there. Uh, yep, I've got English background, uh, Irish background. I would love at some point to go back there and visit. Um, I think that the talks will begin. I don't think we're going to have an agreement uh, by the end of February. Um, I, I, I do see no reason. I can't identify a mechanism that's going to pull these two sides together. 
All righty. That does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Throughout the next week, we'll be back with another show talking about who knows what. But uh, shout out to Olney England. And uh, Oh, come on. We will. You know me well enough to know I will come up with something good. I think the listeners should know that, you know, we had a conversation about it and it was amicable. But I know deep down inside it killed you, Buster, not to do a podcast last week. Were you yes. were you agonizing, pacing around the house like, where's Taylor? When are we going to record something? Get Sarah and Hembo on the line. Uh, you know me, I, I could talk <laughs> baseball all day, you know, through the lockout and we'll have to have a conversation about what we're going to do if this extends into March at this right. point. But uh, we will uh, we'll definitely be talking baseball at least once a week, I think, uh, you know, until that happens. That's it for today. My thanks to Derek, Sarah and Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening uh, and stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.